coming up on today's show. It's the Labor Day long weekend, of course. It's also Alberta Day was yesterday, events all weekend. Jason Kenney, Premier of Alberta, will join us. We'll also speak with Rick Peterson, founder of Centre Ice Canadians. Used to be Centre Ice Conservatives. And a look ahead to the Labor Day Classic matchup. Stamps, Elks. Yesterday marked the first ever Alberta Day uh, with ceremonies taking place, opening ceremonies taking place at the legislature. Today and tomorrow, we're going to have events taking place right across the province. In Calgary, they're focused on Prince's Island Park, and in Edmonton, they'll be at the legislature grounds. And joining us now to tell us about Alberta Day and uh, what the hopes and dreams are for Alberta Day, we have Premier Jason Kenney. Uh, Premier, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time today. For sure. Good to be here, Shay. Thanks very much. So, yeah, it's our first ever Alberta Day. Uh, and I guess it's a, it's a few days, as a matter of fact, the way it's shaping up. Um, what, what's your hope? What's your dream? What's your vision of Alberta Day and what it'll come to mean in this province? Well, you know, we became a province on September the 1st, 1905, and we had a huge party then, but never since. And that's unfortunate because I think Alberta's worth celebrating. Of course, uh, uh, many folks get together in, in ways big and small on Canada Day to celebrate our country. I think Alberta's worth celebrating. We're a unique place. Uh, as I say, we've created one of the most prosperous and generous societies in the world. Alberta's a day's away to, well, just have some fun, but also uh, show some gratitude for the folks who've gone before us to build the province and, and celebrate uh, everything that we are. So uh, with that, this is our first effort. I, I'm not expecting... Uh, giant crowds because people aren't used to it yet. We've, we uh, uh, have only had a, a few weeks to, to promote it, but um, if people are looking for some family-friendly activities uh, on Saturday at Princess Island Park in Calgary and Edmonton, the legislature grounds, uh, Brett Kissel will be headlining a great lineup of uh, Alberta-based uh, musical acts and uh, family-friendly activities. So uh, a good way to end out the summer um, enjoy the long weekend, but also celebrate Alberta. Yeah, and as you say, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Breakfast will be playing a show tomorrow afternoon in Calgary and then tomorrow evening in Edmonton, sort of the headliner. Uh, but, you know, as you say, events taking place throughout the day and in, in a number of communities around the province. Um, well, I've got you. Can I ask you a couple of questions about uh, news of the day? Uh, I have no doubt that you were going to do that anyway, <laughs> Shigo. <laughs> I, I want to start with uh, our Lieutenant Governor Selma Lakani yesterday talking about the fact that she may not sign into law the Sovereignty Act. First of all, do you think that's an appropriate um, action by the Lieutenant Governor to speak about a bill before it's even been drafted, and especially in the middle of a leadership race? Well, she was asked unprompted questions by media, and I think she gave general answers about her duties as lieutenant governor, that if she faces something problematic, she would take on expert advice and consider uh, all the constitutional principles. So I think she was trying to uh, uh, deflect and say that, that as the lieutenant governor, she has responsibilities, and uh, she would exercise them thoughtfully. Do you agree with her? Does she? I mean, what is the role of the lieutenant governor? Is is she a rubber stamp, as a lot of people think, or should she be injecting herself into... Um, you know, lawmaking in this problem. She's not an elected representative. Well, the lieutenant governor represents the queen. And in our uh, system of government, the, the parliament, or in our, our case, the, the legislature, is made up of the elected members and the sovereign or the representative. So the, the, her office is part of the lawmaking process. And that was very clear here in Alberta, 1936, Shay. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons we need to celebrate Alberta Day is to know our history. In 1936, the Eberhardt government passed a bunch of flagrantly unconstitutional laws, um, mainly about pretending Alberta had uh, power to print money. And uh, the lieutenant governor um, did not grant them royal assent. Uh, 
uh, on the grounds that they were just flagrantly outside the constitutional authority of the province and the legislature. And that created a constitutional crisis. God forbid we should ever be in a situation like that again. Uh, that's why I spoke out uh, in January and December about uh, this uh, cockamamie so-called Sovereignty Act. It's, it's really the Anarchy Act, or as one conservative constitutional scholar puts it, the Alberta Suicide Act. Um, I, I, you know, it, it would put the lieutenant governor in a very awkward position for the legislature to pass a law saying that it will not enforce the laws. That is without precedent. Uh, at least in Canadian and perhaps in, in British parliamentary history. So, uh, and it would also send a devastating message about investor confidence in the province. I just came off a, uh, investor trip to Korea talking to multi-billion dollar funds about bringing money to this province to create jobs. And if the legislature passes a law or the government proposes one, saying that we will rip up contracts, we won't enforce court orders, we'll ignore the rulings of the Supreme Court, we'll choose which laws we enforce, we'll ignore the Constitution. Well, what investor in their right mind would put money at risk in Alberta, who would en- enter into an agreement with the government of Alberta? So this is a very serious problem, and it wasn't created by the lieutenant governor, but by people who are proposing that the lawmaking body should, in fact, break the law. If we're talking about how inappropriate it is for the lieutenant governor to speak on this issue, what about you? Is it not incredibly inappropriate for the sitting premier who's on the way out? I mean, it's a lame duck administration. As you know, you're gone October 6th to be injecting yourself. In, I mean, you're attacking the primary platform plank of one of the front runners in the leadership race. Is that something you should be doing in your capacity and the role you're filling right now? So, Shay, I continue to speak to important issues on this particular one. Uh, this this thing was proposed in September of last year. I was asked to comment on it several times in public. I did so. I'm simply repeating now what I said then, long before there was a leadership campaign or anybody, uh, any particular leadership campaign made it part of their campaign. So, you know, I continue to stand for my convictions that I have for my entire life in public, uh, my entire time in public life. One of them, Shay, is the rule of law. And one of them is the need to grow Alberta's economy and create jobs. That means investor confidence. It, it, uh, so I will uh, continue to say what I've said for months about this, long before the leadership campaign, that we need uh, to focus on jobs and the economy, getting pipelines built. If, um, if provinces start deciding which federal laws they enforce and which they ignore, that's a message to BC to ignore the ruling of the Supreme Court of Canada uh, on approving the uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Uh, and so uh, it, that's why I call it the Anarchy Act. It's exactly what I said about this in January, and my position hasn't changed. Um couple of other issues, if I can squeeze them in. Uh, this massive surplus we're dealing with, more than $13 billion. You announced that you're going to re-index income tax to inflation. A lot of Albertans pleased about that, but you're not re-indexing AISH. Um, and a lot of people very upset about that. Why not? Why would you not re-index AISH to inflation and, I mean, provide that kind of relief for the most vulnerable in our society? Well, first of all, AISH was created in the mid-80s. It was never indexed uh, through its entire history until, like, for, uh, I think, three months um in uh, in 2019 uh it goes up periodically when uh, there are adjustments and i'm sure that will happen at some point in the future it is 40 percent more generous than the next most generous uh, assistance program for persons with disabilities uh and uh we also have a, a very generous uh, 
system which allows folks on age to uh, make earned income without it being deducted from their payments. And, and many of those folks also receive other social benefits, including uh, subsidized housing, uh, federal benefits and the like. So, um, look, the uh, the reality is that uh, we didn't want to de-index uh, the tax code, the tax brackets, but we had to take some fiscal action without to avoid the health care cuts and to get our provinces' finances back in order. We promised that as soon as uh, we had done so, we would restore indexation of the personal income tax system. That's exactly what we're doing. Um, last one here before I let you go. With uh, the fact that you're no longer going to be Premier within a month, how cognizant are, are you of the fact that the things that you're saying, the things that you're doing, the things that you're deciding in the coming days and weeks and the ones this week, um, you're sort of going to be handing that to whoever becomes leader of the province and sort of dictating some of the direction that they have to try and navigate. Would it not be better to stand back, be that placeholder that typically happens in this situation, and allow them to chart their own course free of whatever happens in the meantime? Well, uh, Shay, I, I was uh, elected as the leader of a party with what, the largest number of votes in Alberta electoral history, uh, over a million votes for the first time ever, with a very specific mandate, and I, I continue to implement that uh, mandate. Uh, we are keeping our commitments. Uh, we committed to restore indexation as soon as we uh, had the province's finances on a solid footing. That's what's happened. On that case, for example, if we had not acted on this now, we, we need to give Ottawa several months' notice in order to retool um, the uh, tax collection, uh, the rates that they will apply uh, in, in the, for the current tax year. So there are certain things we simply have to do now. Uh, and I just continue to get the job done. You know, that, being in, in Korea, for example, to promote investment in Alberta is doing exactly what I should be doing, using my, my connections and, and position uh, to promote the best interests of Alberta. Uh, Premier Kenny, as always, I thank you for joining us today. Appreciate your time. Right now, that we're going to have a conversation about a group that we've had on the air before, and that I kind of, I kind of like the sentiment that they're expressing, and I appreciate the direction they're taking. But an interesting development yesterday. We've talked about the centerized conservatives on the show before, right? It's a group of pretty prominent conservatives uh, from right across the country, and it's a group that came together to, as best as I understand it, to try and keep the focus on center-right or centrist policy, which I still firmly believe is where most Canadians actually live. But yesterday they, they announced that the center-ice conservatives will now be called the center-ice Canadians. They've dropped conservatives from their name. Is that a big deal? Some people certainly think so. To walk us through why it happened is Rick Peterson. He was a Conservative Party of Canada leadership candidate in 2017 and 2020, and he is a co-founder of Center Ice Canadians. Rick, thank you for joining us once again. Appreciate it. Shay, thank you. Pleasure being here. So in some ways, it's a pretty subtle change. It's one word, right? But at the same time, it's, it's notable. Why did you decide to go from Center Ice Conservatives to Center Ice Canadians? We just had a ton of interest, a ton of people calling us saying, like what you're doing, uh, just don't like the jersey you're wearing. Can we come and play with you if, uh, if we all agree we're, uh, from different camps? And we said, yeah, why not? Why not? We're, we're focused on ideas and issues, uh, Shay, that resonate with majority Canadians. And, um, the shift was unanimously voted on by our group, uh, and passed rather. And, uh, we feel real good about it. So we're certainly not, you know, I'm not taking off my conservative jersey, neither is anybody else, but it allows us to broaden 
and deepen what we're doing. And, you know, I don't know any advocacy group that would uh, that would turn down people that want to join them just because of the name. Okay, a couple of things on that front. First of all, uh, there's a school of thought out there, and you heard this yesterday. I'm not saying anything you yeah. haven't heard, Rick, yeah. that uh, the center ice is no longer occupied by Canadian Conservatives. Conservatives aren't in the middle anymore. They've uh, veered off to the right. Is, is that part of it? Is there no home for a centrist Conservative anymore? There's a lot of us who qualify as centrist conservatives who are part of the centrist conservative or part of the conservative party. I would, I would say Scott Aitchison in the leadership race, uh, Jean Charest, and the other side as well too. Um, Shay is every one of those candidates does have issues that resonate with mainstream Canadians, right? The debt, security, mm-hmm. jobs, housing, but some of them also have elements that mm, you know what don't. So um, to say that the Conservative Party can't be home for centrists, no. Centrists are there. Centrists are just trying to make their voices heard. But here's something else, Shay, is we get calls from people every day. And my email inbox is from people that names your audience will know that say, you know what, we're liberals, but just aren't comfortable with the way that the Trudeau government has gone really to the left. Love what you're doing. How do we we get together with you guys? And, And... our conference, Shay in Edmonton, here two, three weeks ago. Look at look at who came to that, and we didn't speak one word of partisan, conservative or liberal politics. We just talked and got good ideas on the table. So, why not change it to Canadians? We're thrilled. Ninety five percent of our comments are supportive. The, the group from the beginning, the the. The ultimate goal of the group has always been a little confusing to me. You haven't endorsed candidates. You don't want to get involved in races. Okay, you want to stay sort of independent. So I'm not really sure what the focus is, but it sounds to me, if you're bringing together people from um, the center-right and the center-left who feel disenfranchised by the parties they've long belonged to, does this potentially lead to a new political movement and a new political party? Can I, can I just um, walk back just a little bit, Shay, and make a slight adjustment to your sure. uh, comments here? Is, is, is um, we're, we're still conservative, and we're still, each of us individually, is every one of us is active in one of the federal conservative leadership campaigns. So just Right, but the clear, group right? is not coming out and saying, you know who's best for centers conservatives is candidate X. Yeah, because you know what? It would be hard to get unanimity for everybody, so we can't <laughs> speak as a group, right? I mean, try to, try to herd cats. Right? Yeah, fair enough. So, so uh, point number one. No, point number two. Uh, no, uh, nobody's into this to to to, uh, to create a political party. And and I'm going to tell you something that I've learned. She of great interest to me in the last um, three months here is most people. You probably hear this every day. Most people just feel, mm, you know what? Why would I want to join a, a, a party? I just want to get stuff done. I want to start and belong to movements that can really move the needle on stuff. And, um, you know, political parties, yes, do form governments, but our group, like others that have done before us, can really weigh in and have an interest and uh, move the needle. And so you can do that without being a political party. Trying to organize a federal party in Canada today, Shay, you have to set up 338 EBA association writings mm-hmm. across Canada. I mean, it's just beyond beyond so, what anybody that I know wants to do, right? How does the work do its, the group do its work? How, how, what is the, how do you go about uh, trying to affect politics the way that you want to? How does the work happen? Like you say, each of you may pick a candidate you want to endorse, but in terms of what the group does to try and influence public opinion and public perception, how does it happen? Just watch. We got a, we got a few things in the hopper over the next three or four uh, weeks, and uh, what I tell people is, um, you know, watch what we do and don't worry about our name. Watch okay. what we do. 
And you're going to see things coming. But, Shay, we started this, and you were so kind to get us on your program back in April when we launched. And uh, four months later, we've got a couple thousand people sending us emails, donating a little bit of money here and there. We financed a, uh, a conference that had people from, you know, former Premier BC to Jack Mintz to, you know, people across the country came to this thing and paid their own way and wanted to be here, and the media covered it like it was a major event as it was. So we've already got a platform. Interesting. Okay. So the yeah. name change is just uh, to reflect the fact that you're hearing from people farther afoot than you thought, uh, and it's yeah. not any reflection of any sort of division or the fact that you feel alienated by where the current conservative leadership races are headed. Not at all, no. We've got people on our advisory council. There's a gentleman named Brian Burlot, who uh, is a very strong Pierre Paulev supporter. Um, our executive director uh, has Pierre Paulev, I know, on his um, ballot. And they, to me, that, 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 that says that we're really on the right track, Shay, because if he does become the leader next Saturday, um, it'll be great to have people inside the party whose views are very similar to ours, you know, trying to bend his ear and say, listen, here's kind of what's important. Can you go this way? Uh, last one, and then I'll let you get out of here. Uh, yeah. There are some, you know, I've talked to a number of conservative analysts and strategists uh, over the past several months as this campaign has gone on who have said, you know what, people keep talking about Polyev being far right or, or moving away from the center, and that's not accurate. What's more accurate is the fact that he is reflecting the tone of the country, conservatives, but the country, generally speaking. Is there a chance that we've all, those of us who think that a centrist um, position is where most Canadians want to be, have misread it, and the fact is, no, it's, it's not about being centrist it's about being angry and frustrated and he's just reflecting the the tone of the people or do you think there are people out there looking for something like your offer we wouldn't be around this conversation wouldn't be happening and we wouldn't be drinking out of a fire hose of interest if the latter part of your question wasn't the right answer right um you know what you can have centrist you know you can tap into anger and boy oh boy provincial leadership race for the ucp talk about that federally there's enough of that as well too people can tell tap into anger and get support. Um, we want to understand that if you're going to do that, you got to pay the price after you're elected. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be hard, right? So, you know, you can be in favor of better housing, but you know what? You want to walk with um, the guys from the convoy who clearly are, shouldn't be still in Parliament Hill when they were. Do you want to be talking about things in a way and thinking that there's a world economic uh, conspiracy to, you know, change milk price or ice cream? Prices like less than Louis did yesterday. Come on, give us a break, right? Let's let's focus on things that count. Everybody has the right to have their views on this, but the average voter, Shay, as you know very well, when they decide to go to the ballot box, it's a it's an ensemble of things that come together and they make them put the X on the right number. Policy is one part of it, but how a candidate makes them feel. And if I'm angry and the candidate's angry. I'm probably going to go that way. And you're right. There is anger out there. So, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. And bottom line is winning a conservative leadership race is a much different um, challenge than winning a general election. That's what ask, that's when push comes to shove. Ask Aaron O'Toole and Andrew Shearer. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. upon us the labor day long weekend and of course for well as long as i can remember that has meant cfl football and of course coming up uh, this weekend we have the elks and the stamps renewing acquaintances as they do every year in the labor day classic interesting times for the cfl interesting times for the edmonton elk so to walk us through where we are as we uh, take this checkpoint this time of the season we're going to chat with morley scott who is the play-by-play -play voice 
of the Edmonton Elks, and he also does uh, sports on 6.30 Chad Mornings. And Dave McIver, who is the morning sports anchor on Mornings with Sue and Andy on 770CHQR and the sideline reporter for Stamps broadcast there. Um, Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking some time to join me this morning. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. So I don't know if we're going to call it. I don't know if we're going to call it the good, the bad, and the ugly, but maybe let's start with the good. And Dave, I think that would be the stamps are above 500. They're at six and four. So I mean, there's some good news when it comes to what's going on with football in Calgary, right? Yeah, things are are all right here. I think uh, the stamps would like to be in a better position, but they've played. The top teams in the West Division, very tough, and they've been in those games. It's just figuring out how to win those games in the fourth quarter, and that's kind of where the Stamps season has fallen apart when it comes to losses, and, and they've they've been there, though. What about uh, off the field in terms of attendance and community buzz? How are the Stamps doing in that area? It's growing, okay. uh, I would say, Shay. It's, uh, the attendance, at least, uh, seems to me that it's gone up game by game as the season goes on. Um, it's kind of how it works here the last couple of years with uh, the Stamps, you know, the, especially with the Flames in the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. There was a big buzz around that, and, and people kind of jumped on board a little later than usual. But, uh, no, pa- fans are excited for this one, and, and from everything I've heard, we're expecting a really good crowd tomorrow. Uh, let's hope so. I'm Morley, um, okay, let's contrast that to what's happening uh, up in Edmonton. The team's struggling on the field. They're really having a tough time putting together any kind of success. Yeah, absolutely. Their record indicates that, right? Three wins last year so far, three wins this year. So uh, I guess you could say they're ahead of their pace. I will tell you this, that to me, they're a much better football team this year than they were last year. Um, You can see that they're making strides. You can see they're playing better. They're in more games. They're making more plays. They have better players, but they only have three wins. And and there's a lot of reasons for that. Most notably is I think the fact, and Chris Jones has been talking about it all season long, is they can't string four quarters together. Well, they can, but unfortunately, it's the second and third in one game and the first and second (laughs) in the next game, right? Uh, If if they could put four quarters together on the same day, uh, they'd have a lot better uh, record. I mean, They've, they've had leads in the fourth quarter. The game, you know, Dave talked about the Calgary putting it together in the fourth quarter in some games. Well, that was the game against Edmonton week three. The Elks led that game for 39 minutes in Calgary, played very well, but then fell apart in the fourth, and the Stampeders came back to win it. The Elks have had leads in a lot of games, but there's always one point in the game, and it's usually the second quarter where they have issues, and they allow a team to pick up, uh, allow the other team to pick up momentum going into the dressing room, and uh, they're not able to recover from it. They play okay in the second half, but uh, they build, they, they just build themselves too big of a hole. So yeah. uh, they're they're a team that's made a lot of changes from last year. They're a team that's made a lot of changes from the start of this year, uh, and they're a team that's trying to figure out how to win right now, and it hasn't been able to to work for them very very much so far this year with their three and eight record. So they've got the challenges on the field, um, and we know there's challenges off the field. Like Dave said, it looks like enthusiasm starting to build in Calgary around the Stamps. Are we seeing that in Edmonton again? That's been a struggle too, not only on the field but off the field, Morley. They have lost 13 straight home games going back to 2019. So that's not a great marketing tool, is it? Exactly. So, yeah. So that's the issue. I think uh, you know. I, I, I think the diehard fans are still there. They're still buying tickets and they're still coming. But you want to get the sports fan on board too. The guy who just wants to go to events and nobody wants to do that right now because the team's not not entertaining right they're not winning games and to me winning games is the most important thing to sell tickets it's it's your best marketing tool that you can can, can come up with and the elks haven't done that right now they've, they've played you know some entertaining games but 
end up losing. Something always seems to go wrong, and they're not able to to get that win at home. And until they start winning at home, I think they're going to have trouble selling tickets. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what sport you're selling. Uh, if you don't put yeah. a winning product on the field, it's tough. Um, I need to take a quick break. Can you guys hang on for a minute, then we'll talk about the state of the CFL in general? Absolutely. Yep. Okay, hang on. We'll take a quick break and be right back with Morley Scott of 630 Chet and Dave McIver of 770 CHQR. Padding the CFL. Labor Day weekend, of course. Always a big weekend. No, I didn't hang up on anybody. There he's calling back, Sarah. Uh, we're chatting with Morley Scott, sports anchor on 630 Chad Mornings and play-by-play announcer for the Edmonton Elks, and uh, Dave McIver, who is the morning sports anchor, anchor on Mornings with Sue and Andy on 770CHQR and the Stampeder sideline reporter. So we're going to get these guys back on the air. Dave's just uh, joining us. Morley's still here, so let's start with you, Morley. Uh, heading into this game this weekend, um, what are the expectations for the Elks? I mean, you always want to win, but you have to be realistic, right? Absolutely. You know, and they made a lot of changes this week, too. They've, they've traded away three veteran players, including a longtime uh, player, David Beard, this morning, getting traded uh, to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So they're going to have uh, a lot of new guys in place, and that's kind of been the issue all week long, uh, or all season long for the Elks, is uh, new faces and new places because of the changes that Chris Jones wanted to make and then because of the changes he's had to make because of injuries. And there's been an awful lot of them this year for the Elks. So, uh, yeah, I, expectations, I don't, I don't know uh, ex- they're three and eight, right? Right. Yeah, Calgary exactly. Six and four. Calgary six and four and playing pretty well. I think the Alks just want to go in and, and as as Chris Jones likes to say, give ourselves an opportunity. And uh, to do that, you got to start well, you got to play well, and you got to limit your mistakes. And uh, he's used the phrase a lot this year: we have to play acute football. And and I think that you know that kind of boils it down for the Alks. They, they have to play pretty solid game. They have to play pretty pretty close to perfect to beat teams right now the way they've been they've been going this year. And and you know. They're not out of the playoffs yet, but they don't have much room for error, if any. I mean, I don't know if they can catch Saskatchewan now, but they got a chance to catch catch Calgary if they can win these two games in this in this Labor Day series, which is highly unlikely. But there's still an opportunity there, so uh, you know they have to still keep their keep their their sights high and and just keep playing football. Just exactly. Yeah. Chris Jones, we got to have fun. We got to have fun playing the game and see what happens after that. Dave, in terms of the stamps, I mean, I'm already talking about some turnover with the Eskimos. I, I, not necessarily turnover with the stamps. What was that, Sarah? Elks, did I say Eskimos? Oh, man. It, it, one day. One day I'm going to get it. Okay, Elks. Uh, with the stamps, um, Dave, of course, uh, not necessarily turnover to that regard, but uh, a change of quarterback, which is never easy, right? Uh, you know, you've got you've got the legend in Bo Levi Mitchell, and maybe it's time they're moving on to the next quarterback, right? Yeah, it's uh, that was kind of the controversy last week. Bo, yeah. uh, Bo finally talked to the media yesterday, and he, you know, he said all the right things. He doesn't want to be a distraction. Uh, he wants to go out there and learn to see what Jake is doing that you know maybe he's not doing. He's looking at you know quarterbacks around the league who are successful. So that was a big change for the Calgary Stampeders because Bo Levi Mitchell is the most winningest quarterback in CFL history. But despite that being six and three with Bo. It just seemed like in games the offense would stall and stall and stall. And uh, they decided to go with Jake Mayer, and, and Jake Mayer was very good in his first start. 294 yards, three touchdown passes. Yeah. 
They just couldn't get a stop in the fourth quarter. So that's, that's a big one for the Stamps. Other than that, they've just been so injured in the defensive secondary so far this year, and they're finally starting to get some bodies back there. That's pretty much the most turnover they've had is just how many bodies they've been having at defensive back and, and at the Sam linebacker position as well. So, yeah, that's, that's their type of turnover this year is just they haven't been able to stay healthy. Um, let's talk about the league in general, guys. Um, Dave, uh, like you say, some, some enthusiasm building with the Stamps. Um, how do you feel about the state of the CFL? Obviously, the pandemic has been hard, right? Do you think it's coming back the way that they'd like to see? I think it's coming back slowly. I think they've had to earn the trust back of the fan. The biggest thing for me, I think, is, you know, organizations need to look at themselves and and, and look at how much they're charging for things at stadiums. I've always looked at the CFL as a more family event. And, you know, my dad took my niece to her first game a, a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, and $17 for a beer and a popcorn. How many people can afford that when you've already paid, you know, 40 50 60 bucks to get into a game? And, and I think that's what they need to look at as well as they really need to find a, a, an experience because, as we know, younger sports fans, they go – to sports now for the experience. And if you oh, for sure. bring that game day experience, instead of just bringing the, hey, this is the advertisement, we have a football game, come watch it, and you can build things around it, which I think Victor Quee's doing a great job of up in Edmonton, that would be a huge help for the Calgary Stampeders, and I think a lot of teams in the league. Hey, Morty, I know you've traveled, you've been to a number of different CFL cities already this year, and there'll be more to come. What are you feeling? What are you seeing when you're in Vancouver or in Ottawa or in Montreal? What's the buzz like compared to years past? Uh, it's it's getting there. I mean, Vancouver's been struggling for a yeah, long time. For sure. They had they had great buzz their first game of the year. They brought in one Republic to play, and they had a crowd of thirty five thousand. Since then, they haven't hit twenty thousand right in their in their home games. And obviously, the buzz is is a little bit better because they've got a new owner who everybody everybody likes, and they're and they're making strides. Uh, but uh, it's it's coming back. It, to be honest, Shay, I'm kind of surprised. I, I I thought the league would come back this year stronger than it has. And I think it was because they had there was no football in 2020, and then there was I don't know what you call last year. Last year wasn't really football to right. me because you know there wasn't a full training camp. They didn't play preseason games. They played a shortened season. The Grey Cup was in December. It just it just wasn't right. You know the fans couldn't attend the way that you know there was all sorts of um, COVID protocols in place. And I think because they had that kind of stumble block year between not playing and coming back full steam, I think that slowed the the, the return down a little bit. And I think they're having to fight a little bit harder to get back to where they were. I believe this this uh, league will survive and this league will get back to where it is, but it's going to have to work harder than it's ever worked before to do that, and they have to start thinking outside of the box, and, and I know Victor Quee has been doing that in Edmonton. Uh, they've got a new owner in BC who's doing that, and I know talking to Victor this week, he was uh, so impressed with what he saw in Ottawa, when he visited Ottawa to go to the Red Blacks game with uh, with the Elks for the first time, uh, how he was ha- he, uh, so very impressed with their the way they do things, and and I think he got some ideas from them as well moving forward. Ironically, another team that hasn't won at home this year and is struggling yeah. at home, and and so you got to work harder to get people out. But I think the league will eventually bounce back, but it's just taken longer, certainly longer than I thought it would uh, after the COVID cancellation season. Bright spots, Dave. I mean, the the Riders are always they got a pretty good fan base there and Winnipeg's actually doing pretty well getting people into the stands aren't they 
Yeah, yeah Winni- uh, the, the, the two games in, Stamp- in Winnipeg for the Calgary Stampeders this year were, were raucous and, uh, and very loud, and they haven't been to Saskatchewan yet. They won't go till the end of the year, but uh, I certainly think that even Saskatchewan's had uh, you know, some, some attendance yeah. issues that they normally haven't had, and that was surprising to see for the first game of the year. You know, you'd think the one place across the country that would pack the stadium after a COVID year was Saskatchewan, and we haven't seen it. But like Morley says, I do think it's growing. And that's one of the bright spots. It's just you got to find a different way to tailor it to a younger fan base because that's what you need. Yeah, you got to replace the ones that are. Yeah, and, and Shay, I'll tell you this: like Winnipeg's leading the league in, in attendance, I believe this year, if not first. They're they're right there, and they've yeah. had some great crowds. Uh, the the thing again, and I'll call back to what I said earlier: they're ten and one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wins wins sell tickets. That's the bottom line. Yeah, you're absolutely right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Morley. You're at practice, right? That's the noise we're hearing. Uh, I am. I'm at uh, Clark Stadium sitting on a bench in the sunshine watching the, the Elks practice, and today I really like my job. I'll tell you that right Yeah, now. well, they're enthusiastic. We can hear it, no doubt. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the games this weekend, and uh, we'll check in next week. Thanks, Chase. Thanks, Chase. See you, you on Sunday, Dave. See you, see you Morley. Dave McIver of 770CHQR and Morley Scott of 630Ched, both of them involved in the football broadcast that will take place on Labor Day as the Elks and the Stamps hook up. And then, of course, we'll have the rematch back in Edmonton the following week. And, I mean, I I love the CFL. I, I, I don't care about the NFL. I sometimes watch the Super Bowl. But I've always liked the CFL. And I've gone to games in both Calgary and in Edmonton and went to a Grey Cup in Regina. And I just, I, I'm, I'm a CFL guy. And I hope the league bounces back stronger than ever here. And I think, you know, like like Morley and Dave said, we're, we're heading in the right direction. There's some work to be done there. There's no question. There's a lot of ground to make up. The pandemic was not good to the CFL. Um, that's a league that, you know, you look at hockey, baseball, basketball, any of them, um, you've got TV revenue that you can rely on, right? It's not necessarily entirely based on getting people into the stadium. Not so with the CFL. The vast majority of the revenue for that league comes from getting people in the stands. And uh, when you can't do it, it's tough. And uh, they need to see that come back and return. And fingers crossed they will. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when in Edmonton, you couldn't get a ticket to a CFL game. They'd put 60000 in there every week. It was crazy, you know, and that's not that long ago. That's, you know, 1980. So I guess it is that long ago. But, um, you know, maybe we'll get back to that one day. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.